Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Everybody's revived with the hokey pokey? I promise you I won't get you to do the hokey pokey. I might get you to do some other things, maybe some stand-up, sit-down games. I don't know, but definitely not the hokey pokey. Thank you, James, for that. Uh, it's a good lesson on tithing. Shake yourself all around. He says, press down, shaken together, filled and overflowing. Um, this morning, before I get started on my message, I would love to be able to say what an honor, what a privilege it has been to be able to step up to the challenge that Pastor Cameron and Sandra set before me to oversee the church for three weeks and to come and to bring a series uh, to our church for the three weeks consecutively, and it has been a challenge, <laughs> for sure, but the grace of God has been there. Um, but it has truly been an honor, and um, most of all, throughout those three weeks, I want to say it has been an honor to work with all of the volunteers for these last three weeks. It's a testament to what Be Cameron and Sandra have been building here, the heart that he's put in, they've put into all of you, because every volunteer has stepped up to the plate and have done what they needed to do in the positions that they needed to do it in, and all of that alleviated and helped me out so much that you, you can't even imagine how uh, important and how grateful I am for that. So thank you, all volunteers. Thank you, worship team. Right down to the Impact Kids. Um, it's been an honor and a privilege, and I thank you for that. Um, I also want to just kind of give the church an update on Bill Jeffs, which is Pastor Cameron's dad, and Lynn's wife or husband. And um, I just want to say, I was talking or texting with Lynn this morning that uh, Bill is doing well today. He actually was hoping that he might be able to come to church today, but he was feeling a little tired, so um, they decided to stay home. But he is at home. He did not, he did go into the surgery, but it became more exploratory than actual procedure. Uh, they were unable to put a stint into his heart. Um, but one of the great things is that the two main arteries that are really, really, really important for his heart to keep functioning are very are open and clear. Um, there's nothing in there. Um, so that's a really good thing. So if you could just um, keep them in your prayers as they continue to recover at home. Um, there are also some issues with diabetes at this point that insulin might be uh, coming into play for their family life. So if you can just keep them in your prayers with all of that, that would be awesome. And Lynn wanted to extend her love her thanks for all of the prayers and the support that Impact Church has given them during this time. So thank you again for that. Um, just quickly, too, before we get going. So we now have Jeff Evans back from Honduras and Rachel. Welcome back, guys. Uh, but to be honest, I think I'm actually going to send him back to Honduras because... So if you've been hearing each message, so my very first message... I was sharing a story at the very beginning that um, coming to here to preach to you, I disobeyed the law by overgoing the limit <laughs> by 20 kilometers. And um, in that service, I asked for forgiveness from Mark McCreary, who's also a police officer here. But Jeff is a military police officer, and he knows I was speeding past the base. <laughs> he says that would have been his jurisdiction. So this morning he came and from Sergeant Jeff Evans, I received a ticket. <laughs> so I'm going to send him back to Honduras. Thank you, Jeff, for, 
for this ticket. Now, I have to say that I did, before the church, ask for forgiveness, and I repented, and, and it's the church's duty to, to forgive, and it's also Christ's duty to forgive. So th- you're going to avoid this. I know you said that, but um, Jesus has already paid my debt in full. I am forgiven. I am forgiven and released. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> um, so we're going to be doing the last part of an extraordinary uh, series. And this is the number three. And can you just put up that next slide there, James? I can't, uh, I can't miss out sharing this. This is my daughter, Brianna, who just flew in this morning at 3 a.m. from Australia. 26-hour flight, and I have yet to see her. I haven't seen her for four months. And um, I had to bring her to church with me this morning because she's sleeping. And I had to show her off with her koala. She's had an awesome time in Australia. And um, so I'm excited to not only what God is doing this morning, but why I get a chance to go home and see my daughter uh, later today. So what I want to do is um, for this series, I'm hoping to be able to bring this series into a landing without crashing it. The last two weeks have been going pretty well, and I think the uh, message has been getting out there um, pretty decently. So hopefully it'll happen again today. And um, I just want to give a quick review of part one and two for those who might be visitors or you have, uh, haven't been able to hear it online, that the very first extraordinary series, we were talking about ordinary people, that we are an ordinary people. And in our lives and in our world, there is that distinction through everything we do. You know, you may have an ordinary nine to five job. But um, we might think of a pop singer as being extraordinary. You might have an ordinary home, but a mansion would be an extraordinary home. Um, So we often have that distinction between ordinary and extraordinary. Um, But God was wanting to give a perspective shift. He was wanting to reveal some lies and limitations of what the enemy has put on his people. And often when we think of the word ordinary, we think, well, we're unworthy. We're failures. We're not good enough. We're not capable enough. But that's not what God's perspective of ordinary is. His perspective of ordinary is that everybody from the least to the greatest is ordinary. And what that does is it puts us all on the same level, just like it puts us at the, at the same level at the cross, that everybody is the ordinary. And in that ordinariness, we all have the ability to touch the extraordinary. So the second uh, installment was an extraordinary God. So we were ordinary people, but we have an extraordinary God. So what we did was we we began to raise up who Jesus Christ was. We began to reveal that we have an extraordinary God, that it has nothing to do with us, that it's all about him, that every, every power that's worked within us is because of an extraordinary God. And because we are an ordinary people with an extraordinary God, then he will begin to move and to work extraordinary plans, his extraordinary message, and, um, and give us his extraordinary presence in an ordinary people. And um, this morning, what we're going to be talking about, actually, I'm going to share that just a little bit later. But what I want to do is I just want to give some definitions of the word ordinary. So this is the one we've been using for the last three weeks. Ordinary says this. It's of no special quality or interest. It's commonplace, unexceptional, undistinguished, customary, usual, or normal. And extraordinary means beyond what is ordinary, noteworthy, or remarkable. And uh, in the last two messages between ordinary people and extraordinary God, there's a possibility that some of you walked away from the service last week going, okay, I'm an ordinary person, and he's an extraordinary God. And I don't know about you, sometimes that leaves a tension of, well, then how does an ordinary person 
have a chance to attain to and touch this extraordinary God. Because we also talked about the fact that we have to be careful that we don't touch the glory of God, that we, act, that we don't accidentally steal from and take without permission his glory, that we don't accidentally shine instead of God because we're trying to put on a pretense. We're trying to show we're not ordinary, we're extraordinary. So we're going we're gonna to put on this show, and we're going to put on um, these things to make when I go before people or I, spent, or I have a skill or a talent, I'm going to put on a show. And what that does is it accidentally steals from the glory of God and it causes us to shine and it limits the presence and the glory of God to come and actually do what an extraordinary God wants to do. So then that leaves this space in between. And what do we do with that tension of being an ordinary people with an extraordinary God? How do we ever touch and attain that? So a question this morning that I want to, I want to answer, and there's only one question I want to answer, and I hope I do it clearly by the end of my nine pages of notes here. But um, what do we do with this imperfect vessel meshed in between the two? An ordinary human vessel and an extraordinary divinity. What do, do, what do we do with this separation? And separation can mean gap or hole or rent. And um, our title this morning is The Extraordinary Perfection of Imperfection. Isn't that awesome? Who would ever think that we could have perfection in imperfection? And uh, this is what we want to, to delve in today. And um, if you were to be in a desert, and I want you to try to visualize this so you can actually feel your, your mouth going dry. You're in the desert. It's hot. We were in Phoenix, Arizona a few summers ago, and it was like 44 degrees, and it's dry, and it's hot. And literally, if you have a bottle of water, it is hot within five minutes. You, you don't want to go in the desert. It's, uh, it's exceptionally hot. So you're hot and you're dry, and the sun is beating down on you, and you're burning, your skin is burning, even if you have sunscreen on, you feel like you're burning. Uh, we'd be sitting by the pool, and you couldn't get from the chair to the pool without putting a towel down in between, because, or making sure you had your flip-flops on, because it was so hot from the heat of the sun. So if you can imagine yourself in the desert, you're, you're hot, and you're thirsty, and you're dry, and then you see this, this jar of clay, and you realize, you know what, that jar of clay has cool, refreshing water in it. Um, are you going to care what that jar looks like? Are you going to care that it's a jar of clay? Feel free to answer. Or are you going to just want the treasure of that water that's in there, that cool, refreshing water? I don't think you're going to care what that jar looks like. You're just going to say, bring it on. <laughs> Refresh me. Bring on that refreshing water. That is perfection inside of imperfection. So the jar of clay is imperfect, but what is perfect is that cool, refreshing water, and it's gonna give you everything that you need to sustain your life. Um, and interestingly enough, as we're talking about the perfection of imperfection, um, I randomly was looking up phobias, and there's hundreds of phobias out there. But I came across one, and I may mispronounce it right, or wrong, it's uh, entelephobia, and it says it's the fear of imperfection or not being good enough. An extreme fear of failing to achieve perfection in anyone's actions, ideas, 
or beliefs. And I have to say today that sometimes in the Christian world, because we know that we're supposed to be a holy people, that we, we know we're called, we know that we're to stand out, that sometimes we put so much pressure on ourselves that we could actually, and I'm not saying we have a phobia, but there can certainly be a fear there that we have to live up to some legalistic laws in order to make sure that we are perfect. But we don't have to do that. This morning, as we were singing that song, it says, when, when he comes and he moves in the room, he removes all of our fears. So I believe this morning that, this, that one of the weights that God is wanting to lift off of his people is to remove a fear of having to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect. He's happy with you being imperfect. Now, uh, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about uh, our imperfections as in sins. Uh, unfortunately, at times we can um, accommodate sins by saying that it's a weakness, that it's an imperfection, and I just have to live with it, and I'm working it through. But God actually, sin is not that imperfection. God says when we, when we recognize a sin, it needs to be recognized, it be, needs to be acknowledged, and it needs to be repented of. And when it's repented of, then he says that the refreshing of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will come upon that individual, and he will set them free from that sin. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking about imperfections in the sense that we can walk through life, um, and because of circumstances in our childhood or things that we've learned, things that have come on us, that we begin to feel like we're imperfect, that we're, we're not worthy, we're not capable, we're not talented enough, we're not skilled enough, we're not intellectual enough, we're not enough, enough, enough. We're just not enough. That's the imperfections that I want to speak into this morning, that God says it's okay to be imperfect. And um, as I was getting ready for the rest of this message, I was contemplating, you know, how do you, how am I ever going to describe God? perfection and imperfection. How am I going to describe that imperfect people touch imperfect people and that that is perfect? And um, I came to the, the conclusion that a beautiful, a beautiful tie-in of the tension between ordinary people and extraordinary God and how does an ordinary, imperfect people touch a perfect, extraordinary God is to recognize the incarnation of the Son of God. How perfect is it that the Son of God the perfect, extraordinary God humbled himself and came to earth to be inside of an ordinary, imperfect people, the incarnation. Um, God himself became an ordinary human being. Isn't that absolutely amazing? God said, you know what, I know that you can't do anything on your own to save yourself. I know that there's nothing you can do to remove your imperfections, but I who am perfect am gonna set aside that, that extraordinary perfectedness. Not that he left it there, he brought it with him, but he set it aside so that he can come and enter into a, a human nature and bring salvation and bring life uh, to, to people, to us. For those of us sitting here today, uh, some of you may not have received that yeah, but I hope by the end of this message, you will have a chance to receive that extraordinary perfection inside of an ordinary imperfection. Philippians 2, 7 to 11 says this, when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and he took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, 
he lived a selfless, obedient life, and then he died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever so that all created beings in heaven and on earth, even those long ago dead and buried, will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. It's all about him. Isn't that awesome? This morning, we just lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We lift up an extraordinary God, and we place him in his place of honor, and we give him all praise and all glory that we would not shine before him, but we would shine with him inside of us. How more perfect can we get than God himself dying on a cross? And when he died on the cross, the crucifixion was the worst type of, of death that you can imagine. Not only was it torturous and, and so painful, but in the status of the, world, the Roman world at that time, crucifixion was a, was a criminal's death. So the Son of God came from the highest place, and he took on the lowest low. And he took it to the cross and he crucified him. He allowed himself to be crucified to bring us that are imperfect perfection. Acts 10 and 34 and 38 says this. Um, and this is actually, this is Peter when he is taking the, the gospel, the good news to the, to the Gentiles. He's talking to Cornelius. And he says, Peter fairly exploded with his good news. He says, it's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you are the least or if you're the highest or if you're a criminal, it doesn't matter where you're from. If you want God, and you're ready to do as he says, the door is open. As he put his arms out on the cross, he says, I'm being crucified so that the door can be open from the greatest to the least. You all can come in and receive salvation. You can all come in and receive the life of the living God. The message he sent to the children, um, as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. He's doing it everywhere among everyone. You know the story of what happened in Judea. It began in Galilee after John preached a total life change. That's what God does. He comes and he flings wide the open door. He says, I know you can't change your imperfections, but I will change your imperfections because my perfect is coming on your imperfect and I will give you life change. Then Jesus arrived from Nazareth anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, ready for action. And he went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. He was able to do all of this because God was with him. We see here that Jesus was an ordinary human being when he walked here on earth. He was from Nazareth, and when they, when they um, designate that, they're referring, if you, if you know about Nazareth, Nazareth was a small town. It was like, they say, four to 600 people. They were poor. They had nothing. They were, they were desolate. Um, they were scraping by. They were under oppression from, from the Roman uh, Empire. They had absolutely nothing, and Jesus came from the lowest low. 
He had nothing. He was an ordinary human man. And he lived in Nazareth as a carpenter for all of those 30 years before he entered into the ministry. And he himself recognized and had it confirmed that he was the Son of God. And as that ordinary human being, he was anointed by God with the Holy Spirit. Just as we are ordinary, imperfect human beings, we have nothing to offer. Jesus himself went before us and he says, because you are the way you are, I will enter into that and I will show you what it is and what it's like to be anointed by an extraordinary, perfect God and move in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because I have to do it, you can have it. And he moved in the power of the Holy Spirit because of God's empowerment. And he worked extraordinary miracles throughout Israel during his time there. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 says, Now we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So what is this treasure? It's God's extraordinary perfection in an ordinary, imperfect life. Let's take, for example, Peter and John. And um, this is in Acts 3, 1 to 16, and it's the story of a man... Uh, who was disabled. It says, one day at three o'clock in the afternoon, Peter and John were on their way into the temple for a prayer meeting. Um, This just designates it's ordinary people on an ordinary day doing an ordinary thing. They were going up to the temple for a prayer meeting. And at the same time, there was a man crippled from birth being carried up. And every day he was set down at the temple gate, the one named Beautiful, to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for a handout. Peter, with John at his side, looked him straight in the eye and said, Look here. He looked up, expecting to to get something from them. Remember that the person that we get something from is God. It's never the person and the source that he moves through. And Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name. Guess what, guy? I have nothing. I'm just an ordinary person. I have nothing. I haven't got a nickel to my name. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He grabbed him by the right hand and pulled him up. In an instant, his feet and ankles became firm, and he jumped to his feet, and he walked. And if you can visualize this, I thought this passage was just amazing how when God sets us free, when he sets a a broken, wounded, individual, crippled, free, says the man went into the temple with them walking back and forth. Can you imagine? You've You've been crippled your whole life. You've had to beg your whole life. You're an ordinary person. And now this extraordinary God through these ordinary people have healed you. And you're walking back and forth saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe this has happened. Thank you God and um, and it says that everybody there saw him walking around and praising God they recognized him as the one who sat begging at the temple's gate beautiful and they rubbed their eyes can you imagine am I really seeing what has happened if there's anybody here that has been sick for a long time and actually I I I do know um, it would be absolutely amazing to see that individual praising God, dancing, saying, I have been healed. I would be astonished, even though I know God, even though I know how extraordinary he is. It would be amazing to see that extraordinary God work an extraordinary make, make miracle and touch an ordinary life. It would be on, amazing. So they were astonished, scarcely believing what they were seeing. And the man threw his arms around Peter and John, and he was ecstatic. 
All the people ran up to where they were at Solomon's porch to see it for themselves. When Peter saw that he had a congregation, he said to the ushers, close the doors, I've got them. <laughs> I'll get the ushers to close the doors today, you're stuck here. Yeah. Uh, when Peter saw that he had a congregation, he addressed the people, Oh, Israelites, why does this take you by such complete surprise? And why stared as, as if the power or piety made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his son. Faith in Jesus' name put this man, whose condition you know so well, on his feet. Yes, faith and nothing but faith put this man healed and whole right before your eyes. I think it's amazing that sometimes God works miracles just to change our perspective. Because for some reason, for us as children of God, we still sometimes have this, this doubt that could God really change me? Could God really heal me, whether it's mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually? Could God really change this circumstance? And then an extraordinary God will come and he'll work through an ordinary person and he'll bring about an extraordinary miracle. And he changes our minds and our perspectives and he shifts what we can see so that we can actually see that God can, God will, and God does change our lives. You know, in my 19 years as a Christian, and I've been in a ministry of some kind for 17 years, so I started the women's ministries uh, a long time ago, um, that no matter how many times I've shared my story with people that that I was broken, that I was wounded, that I was devastated, that I was seemingly crushed, that I had no hope, that there were majorly dark days in my early years. When people see that I have been restored and healed and whole, they still have a tendency to think that it was somehow my own strength that got me to where I am. To be a hero of the faith doesn't mean we're perfect. There are no perfect people in the Bible or in the world, but we raise them up as if they are. They may have started out wounded and broken, the Apostle Paul. Any, any speaker that you might um, enjoy, I absolutely, in, I'm going to say adore. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to say that. I've been touched deeply by John Bevere, his messages and his books, and it has, um, God allowed me to be mentored through that individual, through his books. I've been deeply touched by God through him. And we have a tendency to say, well, he must have started out perfect. He must have been perfect all along the way. He must have been extraordinary all along the way. Um, but I was just reading recently that he failed his, his um, SATs, and he's had the lowest score he's ever, he's never met any, and he, he crosses the world constantly preaching. Um, and he's never met anybody who got a lower score than he did on the English language on his SATs. And yet he's written, I think it's like 15 books at this stage. He's not perfect, but we have a tendency to raise people up uh, into that perfect place when we see that they've been healed and restored by God. And if we do that, God has to continuously reduce us to the level of ordinary so that we can once again see his extraordinary. So today when you see me here as I am, I wasn't this way four years ago. Those of you who are sitting, I wasn't this way even four months ago. 
God completely and constantly comes and changes and moves on an imperfect, ordinary people with his extraordinary presence. And when God got a hold of me 19 years ago, it took a few years for him to, to heal me and restore me enough that I was able to begin to pour out onto other people. Literally, and I'm, and I'm not kidding, for the first year, um, every Sunday evening service, because the morning services were a little bit different, but the Sunday evening services were a little bit more relaxed, and, and I would be at the altar every Sunday. Didn't care what the pastor preached, didn't matter. I just wanted them to lay hands on me and let the Holy Spirit do his work, because as the song says, only he can do what he can do. And I laid out under that front pew on the carpet, and not to be gross or anything, but snot running out of my nose, tears running down my face, just asking God to heal me. Because I was so broken. I had so many broken pieces that I couldn't put together, and I needed this extraordinary God to come on an ordinary human being and heal me. And he did. But when I tell people that... Uh, today that they don't often see that. They still think somehow that I must have been strong all on my own. And um, the way that I was, I liken it to um, years ago when my daughter was, I think she was like nine or 10, my husband took her for an airplane ride, and you can do that here in Kingston. And, and what they do is they take you on the, coast, on the coastline of Lake Ontario, and when you're up really high, if you're watching in certain places, you can see that there's been a ship that has sunken underneath of the water. And you, you can see it from the height of being up in the airplane. And I liken my life to that, that I was a sunken, broken, wounded shipwreck with lots of broken pieces. And I needed God to reveal to me a perspective of who he was, that he was higher than any of my circumstances, that he was higher than any of my brokenness, and that he could see this treasure of a broken, sunken ship you know, I was a slave to my inner thoughts and limitations and the lies that the enemy had put on me. I was, I was in chains and I was in bondage uh, to circumstances that had happened in my childhood. And then he introduced me to the person of the Holy Spirit. I was a Christian even at this point, but I had not been introduced to the Holy Spirit I had not been introduced to the one that had sealed me in my salvation, but he had not filled me yet with his extraordinary power and perfection. And he came and he touched my life one Sunday night. I was on the verge of suicide. Literally, I was a day away. And God said, and I didn't recognize it as his voice at the time, but he said, Rachel, I would never want you to do that. So this is what I said to him. I said, okay, God, if you would never want me to do that, then that means there has to be a way out. So you have got to get me out of this. And I had tried other ways to get out of that. I was in the behavioral science. I was, I was in my third year of behavioral science technology. That's, that's mental health and humanities. <laughs> Counseling. The, the, the things that the world teaches are good, but it's not enough to bring out and heal broken pieces and, and to raise up a, a, a sunken shipwreck. It's not enough. We need an extraordinary God, a perfect God to come on an imperfect, ordinary human being and bring about that healing for us because we can't do it. We're not strong enough. During that process, God gave me a scripture, um, and it became my lifeline. It was like my lifesaver that he threw out to me. Um, it was from 2 Kings 20 and 5, and it says this, 
I have heard your prayers, and I have seen your tears, and surely I will heal you. And God spoke that scripture so clearly to me. um, As I mentioned, it was his lifesaver to me. It was like when Peter was walking on the water and he began to sink and Jesus reached out his hand to raise him up. That was Jesus reaching out his hand to raise me up as I was was already sunken. Uh, But he was reaching out his hand and raising me up with that scripture. And I have to say, if that scripture was alive, I would have strangled it to death because I spent day after day praying that scripture, doing warfare with that scripture, saying, God, you said that you saw me, that you've heard me, and you said surely, which means beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will heal you. And sure enough, God has healed me, and he's brought up that sunken ship, and he's revealing a treasure that he has placed inside of an imperfect, ordinary person. You know, um, my husband, honestly, would be the only one that could, and perhaps my sister, could attest to where I was at that time and how far God has brought me now. They were the closest ones to me, and they would, they would um, see how, how deep that I had gotten in terms of how I was feeling. And, but even during that time, even my husband at times, before, and this was before he received salvation, he would think that it was my own strength that had raised me up, that it was out of my own strength that I was healed and set free, and I was beginning to become the person that God had created me to be. And it wasn't until after he received salvation that he could understand what it is, how God can come and he can bring his power and bring his strength in our place of imperfections and in our place of weaknesses. You know, when we go back to that scripture of Peter and John, it's, it's, only, it's nothing but God's power that can cause us who are handicapped with broken, sunken lives to rise up and walk again in strength and in dignity. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 10 says, because of the extravagance of those revelations, now Paul was talking about revelations that, that God had given him, Um, And so I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. What he did, in fact, was push me to my knees. No danger, then, of walking around high and mighty. So there's no danger of us like Peter walking on water high and mighty um, because when the enemy comes and he tries to take us down, he tries to uh, put limitations on us. He tries to uh, keep us in that place of depression and oppression. Um, God says that that actually will push us to our knees. It puts us in a place of weakness, recognizing our imperfection, recognizing that we are ordinary, that we need something outside of our, ourselves to come and to heal us, to set us free, and to restore us, and to raise us up. And Paul says, at first I didn't think of it as a gift, and I begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and then he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Um, I just want to give an example there of what does that mean that my grace is enough, that it's all you need. It's really hard to understand how can we be strong in our weaknesses. And I'm just going to give this example of Uh, So my husband and I, we've been married for 19 years, and for uh, 18 of those years, uh, my husband was unsaved, and I was saved. That was a heartbreaking trial of a time, 
to walk through that. And, and, and it's, sometimes it's really hard to understand the, the, the crushing depths of that, to have your most intimate partner that you can't quite connect with on a level that perhaps you can connect with other Christians on even. Um, so it's a heartbreak. And obviously some of you would have that heartbreak with maybe unsaved children that you just long to see them saved. Um, but God comes along. He says, my grace is enough for you. And it wasn't until, uh, so November 23rd of last year was when my husband gave his heart to Christ. And, and um, prior to that, I was, you know, when I would pray, I would go through mountains and valleys of, I believe God, I'm not believing God, I have faith, I don't have faith. And it was this constant mountain and valley journey. And um, during my mountains, I would be praising God, he's coming to Christ, bring him into the kingdom, you know, blah, blah, blah. And in my valleys, I was like, oh God, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I would pray and I would end my prayer with, God, I cannot do this another day. But there was something, I would get up from my prayer, and, and I would say at the end of it, I'd say, but God, you know I will. God, you know I will continue on. You know I will. And um, the day after my husband gave his heart to Christ, I went before God, and I said, God, why? Um, I'm sorry, I just have to back up a little bit. So the afternoon before my, when my, before my husband gave his heart to Christ, I had gone out to pray. I just felt a real burden of God on my heart. And that day had just been an emotional roller coaster. And, and uh, I just went before God, and I was just crying out for him. And, and again, I was in that depth of, God, I have so much faith. But at the same time, God, I cannot do what you're calling me to do without my husband by my side. I need him saved. I need him in the kingdom of God beside me. We need to be walking together in unity so you can do what you've called me to do. And um, when I left that prayer... Not once did I say, but God, you know I will. But I didn't recognize that until the next day. And I went to God and I said, so God, why all of those years prior to my husband's salvation did I say, but God, you know I will? But this time I didn't, and that was the night he was saved. And immediately as I asked the question, he brought this picture to my mind of um, a timer, an egg timer, you know, the sand timers. And, and it, had been, it was flipped over, and the last granule of sands went through, and he said, because the enemy's time was up. You didn't need my grace anymore. You know, the enemy's time is limited. God is not limited, and the enemy likes to try to put limitations on us. He likes us to make us feel weak and that we're not capable, that we can't do it anymore. But God says, hold on, because I have put limits on the enemy's work in your life. I've put boundaries on how far he can go. I will give you the strength and the grace within your weakness until the enemy's time is up, and then that timer will be flipped, and might, you will no longer need that grace because what you have been praying for, what you have been longing for, what you have been crying out to me for will be done. I've put limits on what the enemy can do in my people's lives. So Paul said, once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in my weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, they abuse me, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. You know, the thing is that I am not strong. We are not strong in ourselves. We are strong because of whom we believe in. We are strong because of whom we have faith in. We are ordinary but strong. We are imperfect 
but perfect because of an extraordinary, powerful God. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29 says, Not many are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised, God has chosen. If you are here this morning and you feel like you have been despised by the world, by your circumstances, maybe even by God, I want to give you a different perspective. I want to break off a lie. I want to break off a limitation. God has chosen you. You are not despised. You're a chosen one. And he says, and the things which are not, I bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in my presence. A quote from Henry T. Blackley says this, if we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. Perfection in imperfection. An alternate verse in the message to the one that I just read. I just want to read it because, it, again, it just lays it out there so clearly. It says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you were called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential. Not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses he chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. And last week, you remember the word pretense means to shine before. And God has a, an amazing plan where he picks out the nobodies. And those that are trying to be somebody and trying to shine before, God puts them down and he raises up the nobodies who know that they are weak and ordinary and imperfect and he puts his strength, his perfection and his extraordinary on them. He raises them up as somebodies that they begin to shine for God. I think that's absolutely amazing. That makes it clear that none of us can get by with blowing our own horn before God. Everything that we have Right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. That's why we lift up the name of Jesus and we give him all glory and all praise and all honor. You know, when it comes to our calling, that's often our salvation calling when we come into the kingdom. When I came into the kingdom, um, I was desperately without hope. So I... I was nothing when I was called into salvation. The brightest and the best. I met the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned before, when I was in my third year of behavioral science technology in counseling, and yet I was on the verge of suicide. I wasn't the brightest and I wasn't the best. I had absolutely no influence. I was 23 years old. I, high society families. I was brought up in a large family on a farm in uh, rural Harrowsmith, not too far from here. We lived at or below the poverty line. We grew up with nothing that the world would deem mediocre. Not even mediocre, below that. <laughs> um, I was a nobody by the world's standards. But as I mentioned, God takes the nobodies <clears throat> and he causes them to shine before the somebodies because he's our power and our strength. And I just want to give you a quick example of, um, I went to a 
for those who know me, I have a heart for the human sex trafficking issue and, and for women and the sexualization and objectification of women in our, in our society. And um, I had gone up to Ottawa to a conference called the Justice Summit. And um, they brought in Joyce Smith, the MP, who has um, brought in so many amazing laws in Canada to make sure that the human trafficking uh, is slowed down or, and at this point stopped. And they've even brought in laws now where they can convict the, the abusers, uh, which is awesome. And anyway, so I went up to see all of these speakers. And one of those speakers, his name was Brian McConaughey. And he was um, originally a forensic scientist. And he um, had a chance to work with... Um, the unfortunate incidences with the prostitutes out west um, on the pig farm. And during that time, that's when he got um, recognition of the sex trafficking issue. And uh, he now has an organization in Cambodia. And um, through that organization of bringing out sex girls in the sex trade, um, he was sharing a story about bringing out these girls out of the sex trade, them taking years, it does take years for some of them to heal and to be restored. But some of those restored women, they, once they're restored, they start to try to give them uh, life skills and tangible things that they are able to make money on so that they don't get stuck in that issue again. And um, some of these girls, they were put in a bakery where they were learning to bake and make cupcakes and things like that. And one day they had made all these cupcakes. I guess the prince of Cambodia came by and he sent somebody in to get these cupcakes out of the store. And he actually ended up returning. He liked them so much. He liked how, how they were made and how they were decorated that they ended up having these girls brought into the palace to decorate and make wedding cakes for royalty. Isn't that amazing? How God takes the least, the nobodies, and he sets them up as somebodies. He gives them a whole new life. He takes them from misery to being in a place of royalty and being in the palace of the king. Isn't that just like God to, to take our imperfections and put his perfection on us and bring us to another level? Um, there's a, also an artwork um, that the Japanese do, which is absolutely amazing. Uh, what they do is they take pottery, and um, if those bowls or glasses or jars or anything like that gets broken, broken into, it doesn't matter how many pieces, they, they think it's absolutely beautiful to take those pieces and put them back together by filling up those cracks and those flaws with gold, and afterwards, it looks like that. Isn't that beautiful? And God has a way of doing that with us as jars of clay, as imperfect people. He comes alongside and he says, I'm going to put my perfect on you. I'm going to fill up all of your cracks and all of your flaws and all of your hurts and all of your wounds, all of your places where you feel like you're unworthy, incapable, um, not allowed to touch my glory. I'm going to fill up those cracks with my glory and I'm going to fill them up with my perfection and you're going to be just this perfect um, art piece that's going to shine before me on behalf of this, in front of the somebodies. 2 Corinthians 13 and 14, and this is Paul speaking in regard to Jesus as human. He says, he was sheer weakness and humiliation when he was killed on the cross. But oh, he's alive now in the mighty power of God. We were, much to look, we were not much to look at either when we were humiliated among you. But when we deal with you this next time, we'll be alive in Christ, strengthened by God. You know, Jesus uh, went to, had the lowest 
humble experience, and he bore our weakness that we would be made strong and alive. And um, in, yeah, it was the first one. So in the first uh, extraordinary series, I talked about how um, in the women's ministries, for the first seven years of the women's ministries, I was struggling with the fruit that I was seeing coming out or not coming out, actually. Um, it wasn't showing up like I expected it to show up because who knows when you put a lot of effort into something you're, and you're a Christian, you're expecting God to show up and do mighty things. But the fruit wasn't showing. And so every, every time I did a women's ministries, the next day I was crying my eyes out and I would cry out for, that, for God to show me, you know, do you want me to step down? Please let me step down. But every time I was kept being call back into the women's ministries. No, lead the women's ministries. Lead the women's ministries. And um, at one point, God finally came to me. He said, Rachel, I don't want you to step down. I want you to step aside. And what I want to answer for you today is, how has God been teaching me then to step aside? He's been teaching me how to die. See, we have a tendency to ask God to teach us how to live and to teach us what an abundant life is, because we know that he died that we might have life. But then we get confused when things go wrong and that things don't turn out the way that we're expecting, and it's because we've misunderstood the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is filled with so many paradoxes, such as if you want to be first, be last. If you want to receive, give. If you want to lead, serve. If you want to live, die. So instead of seeing the abundant life, we're seeing the death being worked in us so that the life of Christ can be seen in and on and through these imperfect vessels. We must die to self that we might live for Christ. We have to step aside. We have to allow the veil of our ordinary imperfect flesh to be removed that the extraordinary perfect glory of God can be revealed. When we look at Christ on the cross, the separation that came, so I talked about that, that dissonance between ordinary people and extraordinary God. How do you mesh those two together so that the ordinary can touch the extraordinary? When you look at Jesus on the cross, the, the separation that kept humanity from touching divinity was removed at the cross. As mentioned, the word separation means rent. And Jesus rent the veil that was placed in the temple that kept humanity from entering into his presence. See, there, the, there was the Holy of Holies where the glory of God dwelt, and there was just this really thick um, uh, animal skins that were layered upon layer upon layer that kept humanity, except for the high priest once a year, from coming into that Holy of Holies. He said, you can't touch my glory. But on the cross, Jesus Christ rent that veil, and it was torn from top to bottom, that an ordinary people, an imperfect people, would no longer be separated from an extraordinary, perfect God. But instead, we would become sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that we would have a perfect treasure, that treasure of the life of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, hidden within an ordinary, imperfect lives. This morning, I think God is saying that I have finally found a people weak enough to work through. When we are weak, he is strong. When we are imperfect, his perfection is shown. When we're ordinary, his extraordinary is revealed. And I'm going to ask James 
um, it's amazing because each Sunday, God has placed something in somebody's heart. So the first Sunday was Carling, and she gave a wonderful exhortation to the church. And last week was Richard, and he was talking about the creative destruction. And uh, God dropped something in James' heart as well. Yeah, with this idea of the ordinary and the extraordinary, brought back a, a, uh, something from my travels. I was actually uh, in uh, Russia, in St. Petersburg, oh, maybe 10 odd years ago. And we visited the Hermitage Museum. I don't know if anybody knows about the Hermitage Museum. It's actually one of the premier museums in the world. It's huge. It has a massive collection of artwork that was basically piled up by the old Tsars of Russia. But the 20th century wasn't so kind to the economy of Russia. And so although they had all this artwork, there was a deteriorating of the museum itself. And so not all the maintenance could have been done. And so when we were visiting, you could walk around and you could see there were some rooms that were ornate and made up and just absolutely fabulous. But then I remember walking into this one room. It had plain white walls. And, you know, as we've been saying, there was literally cracks and chips in the paint of, of this museum. Obviously, this is one of the rooms for the artwork that had been completely neglected. And as we looked on the walls, we noticed the wall was filled with and if I remember correctly, a bunch of Monet paintings, which was such a, a dichotomy, right? You have this broken down wall that doesn't even have a, a $10 paint job, but you have tens of millions of dollars of masterpieces sitting on this wall. And so when you're talking about this idea of ordinary, extraordinary, sometimes we're looking at ourselves and we're looking at the chipped walls. We're looking at the cracks in our life, but really, we have a painter, we have a creator in heaven, and he has an extraordinary masterpiece that he wants to hang on us, right? We have no real right. We're not worthy enough to receive that. But through Jesus, we can say, yes, God, we choose. Please hang your masterpiece on me because I don't want people to look at the chips and the cracks. I want them to see your glorious masterpiece working in my life. That's good, James. Thank you so much. What a beautiful picture of exactly what God wants to do. He wants to bring our ordinary, imperfect life that we would be able to touch and attain a perfect, extraordinary God. And he's done that through the person of the Holy Spirit. He's given this treasure in earthen vessels that in our weakness, we would be strong. In our imperfections, it will be revealing God's perfection. So the the extraordinary perfection of imperfection is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we don't have to be perfect because it's all about him. It's all about him. And I'm going to ask for you guys to stand. I'm going to ask the, the worship team and the singers to come back. And um, I just want us to recognize this morning that an imperfect people can touch an imperfect people, and that is perfect. So this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know what your inner thoughts are. I don't know what you struggle with. But what I do know is that if God will do it in me, then God will do it in you. And if God will do it in you, God will do it in me. So we're all on the same level. We all have the ability to touch 
and attain to an extraordinary God and have him come and heal us and restore us and fill up those cracks and those flaws with his glory and with his presence. And as I was, um, just before the worship team sings the spirit of the living God, I felt like God was saying that he wanted to say this to his people, that you are extraordinary because I am extraordinary. Just as I said, you will be holy for I am holy. You will be extraordinary for I am extraordinary. I believe he's saying, shift your perspective, remove the limitations, lift off the weight. You don't have to already be extraordinary or perfect for me to use you, but you do have to know that because I am extraordinary, you will be also. So this morning, if you want to have a chance to touch the extraordinary, if you want to have a chance to have that treasure within your heart, if you're here and you don't know Christ yet, then we want to give you that good news, that salvation message that no matter where you are, whether you're imperfect and you're ordinary and you have nothing to give, God says that's perfect. The door is open as long as you're ready to receive the message and as long as you're ready to do what I've called you to do. The door is open till salvation. And you can come and you can repent of your sins and you can know that you will receive that refreshing water in a jar of clay and I will bring salvation to you and to your household. This morning, if you want to come and you want to bring that nothing to the altar and receive salvation, we're gonna, when we're singing, feel free to do so. And for those that are here and you already know Christ, but you have broken, wounded places, maybe you're a sunken ship and you need a different perspective, you need God to come and reveal to you his perfection and his extraordinary on your imperfection and your ordinary, then I'm gonna ask you to come as well. I'm just gonna pray and then we'll sing. Father, we just thank you for this day. God, we know it's hot in here. But it's amazing how your presence and your anointing can touch a people. That everything else fades away and all we want to do is focus on you. All we want to do is lean in and hear what the Spirit of God has to say to us. So God, this morning I just pray that for that individual maybe that's trying to decide, do they want to receive salvation this morning? God, I'm praying that you would change their mind and their heart, that they would see that you are here, that you're for them, that you want them in the kingdom, that you want them to be a child of God, a of the child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The door is open. And God, for the rest of us, those who want to lay down our nothing, God, I pray that you would come and that you would fill up our cracks and our flaws with your presence and with your glory. God, we give you all praise and all glory and honor this morning. You are everything. We are nothing. You are extraordinary. We are ordinary. You are perfect. We are imperfect. But we thank you that you sent Jesus to reach that gap, to, to close that gap, that we would be able to touch your perfect presence. So come now, Holy Spirit, fall upon this place. Touch the hearts of your people the way that only you can do. In Jesus' mighty, mighty name, amen.